Broadcasting live from the Wellness Wonderland, you're listening to the Wellness Wonderland Radio. I'm Katie, and each week I chat with the most inspirational people on the planet on how to stay inspired in all areas of life. As you listen, feel free to tweet at me, at Katie Dalebout, or use the hashtag Wellness Wonderland. I'd love to hear your aha moments. So grab your headphones and listen on the go, or cuddle up with a notebook as we dive in deep with authentic conversations right here in Wonderland. Hello, Wonders. Welcome back for another week of the show. I'm so excited about this week's part two episode of the Caroline Dooner episode. She is one of my favorite people ever. And like I said, we talked for almost four hours, I think. And so I had to cut the episode into two parts. So the first part already aired a couple weeks ago. Go back and listen to that if you haven't already. And this is part two of that conversation where we get into a lot more stuff about everything from dieting and recovering from dieting and creativity and more of the stuff that she does creatively. So it's a great part of the conversation. As I always think, the conversation gets richer and juicier the longer you conversate, the longer you talk. So it's, I'm not going to say this part is better than the first part, but but yeah, it's, it's, all, it's better than the first part because we've gotten to know each other more. So you'll like this episode a lot. Now, One thing to note that Caroline's actually putting on a program called the Life Recovery Program, and the doors are open for it now. It's the six-month course that's really fantastic. If you did her free 10-day mini course, it's like that on steroids. So follow the link in the show notes if you want to sign up for that. The price is there. Everything is there. All the information you need is there in the show notes. So go to the show notes. Make sure you use that link. And it will take you to the Fuck It Diets free 10-day course, and then you'll sign up there and get information on the life recovery program. So I hope you sign up. I hope you check it out. I've done it. I love Caroline, and I think the world of her. So anyways, anyway, I'm really working so hard to not say anyways, but it just slips out. And an amazing listener, thank you so much, whoever you are, gave me that amazing feedback that I say that word way too often. I didn't even realize that I did it, and it's not a word. It's any way, two words. So I'm going to try not to do that, but it's just a transition word that I use in my mind, and I'm really trying to not use it anymore. So if you catch me using it, I'm really sorry, but I'm aware of it, and I'm trying to change it, as well as the likes and the ums, but they might just come out, and that's me being real with you, just like when I'm talking on the phone with a friend, I say anyways and like and um, so hopefully you can bear with me, and this show isn't meant to sound super professional, although who knows, maybe some someday it will be, but today it's just me as I am today, and I'm not super professional and polished, I'm just me. So I hope you like this episode with Caroline and have an amazing week and I'll talk to you soon. Oh my gosh. Okay. This conversation has been amazing. I haven't even asked you any of the questions that I was going to ask, but you covered like most of them. So, so it's okay. But there's a couple of things I want to tease out from, from what you said and kind of get back to your your story a little bit. So in in high school, you were restrictive dieting, and then that continued. And then when was there like that breaking point 
when you hit the bottom, like I really would love to hear about that mm. moment when you were like, all right, I can't do this anymore. And yeah. you like immersed yourself in this. And then I would love to really hear more about that recalibration period when you were healing your metabolism and allowing yourself to gain weight and eat intuitively and not knowing, you know, where that would lead. And right. when you, you said you had those bad days, um, like what would you do on those bad days? Because I know for me, like when I have those bad days, I immediately, like my brain goes to, oh, should I go back to my old ways? And now I'm at a place where like, if that happens, I can coach myself out of it. It just takes mm-hmm. me a minute. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, no, remember what mm-hmm. you were like then. You're so much cooler now. And I just like do the whole right. thing and I like go back and I don't do it. But yeah. like for a long time, I would like try to be on that intuitive eating train, heal my metabolism and period and body mm-hmm. and all of it. But then I wouldn't like allow myself to get to that place. And so I would right. like go back. So right. yeah, so take us through okay. all of that. That was a so- lot of fun. <laughs> no, totally. It's great. I have like a map for right now in my mind of where we're going to go. Okay, good, good. So Take I, was a, I was a raw vegan in college. I oh, yeah. was a vegetarian. I would have bouts of being like, hey, I think I'm a little crazy about this. I'm going to do intuitive eating. So I would like do an intuitive eating one year. And by intuitive eating, I mean like obsessively yeah. um, try to eat like what my body wanted in this like kind of psychotic and – really weird way where like it was so important that I eat like exactly what I needed and exactly how much I was hungry for and like stop like I would get so mad at myself if I like couldn't tell if I was full or not what our friend Isabel calls the hunger and fullness diet right yes (laughs) the hunger and fullness diet so I would do the hunger and fullness diet like still wanting to be skinny still hoping that that was going to be the way that I'd be skinny and and healthy and then I I like I did like the French women don't get fat version of the hunger and fullness diet. And then I would kind of like cycle through, you know, bouts of that. And then when I was 23, I, I thought that I had like healed myself with this intuitive, like I thought that I had healed my weight stuff but I hadn't because I was still obsessed with being skinny. So I was like, felt pretty stable, like eating crazy, small, weird amounts of food and like drinking wine every night and like drinking so much coffee. This is like my French diet that I thought was like, you know, amazing. And then I heard about the paleo diet and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go on the paleo diet. And I even knew that I was easily obsessed with diets. And I was like, I'm not going to get obsessed with it. I'm just going to try it out. I'm just going to see if it heals my hormones. Cause I still, I had, um, like really weird periods and like really, um, just like really erratic. And I barely got my period actually for like years at a time. Um, so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try to heal my hormones on the paleo diet. If it doesn't work, no big deal. Like I'll go back to my regular, what I'm doing right now, but I'm just going to try it out. And of course, like two days in, I was like sucked into the rabbit hole and I went just as obsessive over this as I had been over being a raw vegan, which is like on the message boards all the time and like writing about what I'm eating, like writing about whether my skin's breaking out and like just being so obsessed with the specifics. It's a complete orthorexia, just so obsessed with the purity of what I'm putting into my body. And then when that didn't work or when I like would 
you know, basically I was trying to like not want to eat food. I thought that if I was on the perfect diet, I would not crave food. That was like the end goal for me. I thought that that was what was going to happen and, and like not care about food and just like eat avocados and lamb and kimchi and like be someone who ate perfectly and didn't care about food and had no more cravings. I'm a skinny and like perfectly healthy and like nothing ever went wrong ever in my entire life. (laughs) And I, I, I started like binging a lot. Like I was being paleo and I was binging so much on like the treat foods, you know, like almond flour and like all of, all of the, these treats that I would like make for myself. And I like nuts were like my, my like vice on these diets. Yeah. It was like, I, and I would eat so many of them and feel so sick and feel so guilty and then like try to be perfect and like not eat any nuts the next day. So I'm like doing this within the rules of the diet. And it was my 24th birthday. I had been paleo for maybe like five months but like obsessed, obsessed. And I was like doing the gaps version of it, which is like this, like Mm. you try to like heal all of the, you know, gut issues. issues. And like I ate only broths for like a week. And then I was like trying to add things in and I like wasn't doing it right. And I was so mad at myself for not doing it right. I'm basically eating nothing, you know, Mm. Um, obsessed with the fact that this is going to heal my hormones. And so again, for me, like I was able to tell myself it wasn't about weight. I was able to tell myself that it was about health and it was about health. I really did want to, but it was so much about weight. So finally, it was my 24th birthday. I binged on squash pancakes that I made for myself. Like I felt so ill. I ate all of these almond flour cupcakes that I had made that were horrible that were like low sugar and like nobody wanted to eat them. And I that ate them. So that, that I heard you tell that story on a, on another podcast and I was laughing so hard. Sorry to interrupt, but I just have to interject this because I can relate so much because I had a similar experience in college where I was on, you know, whatever the diet I was on, I think it was like of the raw vegan variety, but like very much candida also. So like I couldn't eat, fruit and sugar, but I was also, so basically nothing. And I, I was like tweeting at the person who wrote the book that I happened to be following. Hey, it's my birthday. What can I make? That's like low Uh something. And anyway, so I like, like I get some recipe, but then I'm like trying to make this like uber healthy recipe, more healthy even. So like it might've called for like a teeny tiny bit of maple syrup or whatever it was. And right. I was like, well, I'll get, move that. I'll remove that. I'll do yes, half exactly. of that. And so then exactly. it's like, Bleh. but yeah. So, so I just, bad. I can so relate. It's like I when know, you don't like, follow I... an already kind of gross recipe, it's exactly. going to be really Even or gross. Yeah, totally. yeah, no icing on it. Yeah. I would try to like cut the sugar out of like every yeah. single thing that I was making and it always ended up terribly, obviously. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, I know. You were listening to my, the, my friend Ben interviewed me, right? It was so great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was fun. That was funny. Cause that was from the other side. Like that was me telling like his followers that are like actors, this yeah. story. It's funny to like see how the conversation becomes different depending on what angle I feel like I'm coming right. into it. 
Um, Which is probably fascinating for them because I'm sure this is really relevant and prevalent in that community. Oh, yeah. And it really is. It's everywhere. In every community, yeah. but Yeah, in sure every in community. That. But for again, for actors, it's this like, well, we have to be. Right. We have to look good. We That's have right. to lose weight. We have yeah. to be healthy. And it's like, oh, my God. It's just like becomes this like this life view. This like um, it becomes them. It gets back to being this moral, um, a moral journey. Like yeah. I, I'm a better person if I can. Attaching I'm responsible. morality to it. Yes, yeah. yeah, which is so dangerous. Well, and the interesting thing about that with within the acting community is that. If that stigma wasn't there, perhaps there would be more parts. Um, I know. And then perhaps media would change. And then when people consume media, there would be more things, re- more body shapes represented. And then we exactly. would feel. Exactly. So it's just like this, like, it's feeding a feedback loop. That's yeah. Exactly. I'll actually get there because um, I had like a weird. Well, I realized, first of all, I had like like a like a spiritual moment like in the bathroom looking at myself in the mirror after like being filled with all of this food that I didn't even want like gross versions of food that I didn't even want but I binged on anyway mm-hmm. and I truly I I believe I said out loud like you are crazy like you've gone crazy and I I like saw my entire diet history in like one second and I was like this is never going to work like you are doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And you're searching for this like approval for, of yourself that you're never going to get. And like all of this happened in like a second. It was like truly I had like a new understanding of of myself in the world and weight and diets. And I decided that day I was like I am going to stop dieting. I'm going to gain weight. I'm going to quit acting. I'm going to learn to like myself as I am. I'm going to like live my life now. I'm going to figure out what I've been running away from, like what I've been not thinking is good enough. And like, I'm going to do this. And then I believe it took time to put into practice. Like, I think I tried immediately. But I was still, I was like, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want, but I'm going to still be gluten-free, obviously, because gluten's the worst. And so it really did take me time to like add everything back in. But I was determined to get over all of my diet stuff. And the thing is, is that I'd been doing this intuitive eating, and I put that in quotes again, for years. Like for the pat, for the, for like, Four years before that, I'd been trying to do intuitive eating. So I realized in that moment that I had still been obsessed with being skinny all those times and that that was my problem. I was waiting for this time when I was going to be good enough and it had never happened and it would never happen. And I think intuitive eating doesn't work if you're trying to control your weight. Exactly. Because then it's not intuitive eating. Then it's exactly what Isabel says. It's the hunger fullness diet. Exactly, yeah. And under the guise of being intuitive eating. So what I did after that was 
I very slowly started eating more and more foods that I was so afraid of. And I had every intention. I had this intuitive sense that the more food I ate and allowed myself to eat, the more normal with food I would become. And I just knew it. It was, I, I wasn't even really reading Matt Stone. In fact, maybe I had read one article of Matt Stone's. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was because I followed this woman named Cheese Slave on, online. And she used to write about food and cheese, but then she became obsessed with the paleo diet and wrote all about the paleo diet, which is why I followed her. But then she was kind of having a swing back and realized that she needed to be eating more carbs because I was so afraid of carbs. She needed to be eating more carbs in order to heal her hormones. And I think that really perked me. Like I think, I think that the idea too, unfortunately or unfortunately, the idea that I was actually screwing myself over and I was messing up my health even more by being obsessed with diets was the thing that kind of got my interest in the first place. Mm. So I think I'm realizing this right now. I think I've read her stuff about how she was reading Matt Stone at 180 degree health and how he had been on all these crazy diets and it ruined his health and it ruined his metabolism and it ruins people's hormones. And when I read that, I think that that was... It can kind of scare you into like... I think that that was like a big wake-up call. Like, oh my God, I have been deluding myself into thinking that I'm being healthy and caring about myself. And really, I've been searching skinny at the cost of my health and not even knowing I was doing it. And I think with that, came, I think then my epiphany about wanting to gain weight came from that. I think I kind of realized that my obsession with weight was ruining my health even more. And that is what inspired that. So I, I, I was committed to allowing myself to gain weight. And I think because of that, I had this intuitive sense that if I could just let myself eat as much as I wanted heal my metabolism, heal my fear of foods, that I would find some equilibrium and that I would be free. And I believed that I would probably have to be a higher weight in order to do that. And I decided that it was worth it. Mm. And at the same time, I was like, I am going to quit acting because doing this auditioning thing that I was so hard on myself with auditioning. I was like, it was all super, super connected. And I felt like auditioning was, I felt like I wasn't doing well because I wasn't skinny enough. That was my constant belief always throughout any acting audition that I did or any job that I got, even the jobs I got, I was like, well, I got this cause I'm skinny, I guess. And 
I would like, I just tied it all together. I thought it was so, so, so connected. And in ways it is, and also in ways it's totally not. Like it was really all happening in my mind. I thought I was like so much fatter than I was, you know, a month before and I'd gained five pounds and nobody else noticed. And I thought it was like the apocalypse, you know? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because like I'm not in that industry, but I too associated everything with that. And even, you know, I, I was in theater in like school and – same thing. It was like, oh, I'm not the lead in the play because, you know, she's right. prettier, skinnier, whatever, right. whatever, whatever. And, and I, it's amazing. Every, and every time I did get something, it was like, oh, it was because I was, it was because I was skinny then. Yeah. And then I realized yeah. that if I did get something because I was, um, when, I, when I was like at that low weight, the only reason that I got it, I think doesn't have to do with my weight. I and you know of course there's some privilege and whatever whatever. Sure. But I think I had more confidence. Then. I know. And so it's the confidence I had then. All it is. That is what it is. And so we're able to experience that and assume that it's the weight. Yeah. And it just um, strengthens that belief that weight is our worth and that people love us more when we're thinner. And it's just tragic because it all it was was the confidence. All it was was the confidence and kind of putting that into action. Like I, so I was working on that. I was started looking at all these body positive blogs and I started, you know. How did you know to do that? Like how do you just intuitively knew? How did I know to do that? I think I started reading Dances with Fat. And I don't know how oh, I knew yeah. that either. She's yes. So cool. She's amazing. She is so articulate. She is so articulate. I'm in having the her on the pod too. Oh, good, good, good. She is wonderful. Um, I think that was like – I feel like somebody linked to her. I, I think through reading Matt Stone, he had an epiphany about his obsession with becoming lean and his obsession, he was orthorexic as well. And he had an epiphany. And I think he had sort of become a fat activist himself. And he might have linked to one thing that then led to a rabbit hole for me. Oh, and I just you. sort of like, it opened up my world. Thank goodness the internet exists. Oh, you know? my God. Because I don't know what I would be right now. I, I really oh, don't even so know. True. Actually, because it, it fed so much of my crazy health that's stuff. True, but it also... Yeah help me heal for real. Yeah. I don't know that I would have done this um, complete of a healing without the resources on yeah. the internet. I totally- At the same time, though, maybe you wouldn't have gone into it so much because to true. get to the orthorexia, you would have had to like be in the library all day. It's true, you know? but then so. I would have done what my mom did, right? which is was have this like mild obsession my whole life. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you asking me like what my bad days were like, Yes, they I were really like me, like taking a lot of pictures of myself and like taking videos of myself and looking at myself. And this is truly what happened. I would look at myself and be like, oh my God, like I'm not, I don't, I realized that I had body dysmorphic disorder. Like I don't even look the way I think I look. Like I actually looked smaller than I thought I did. I would like decide to eat 
you know, eat a lot for like a week. And then I'd be like, I guess I gained weight. And I was choosing to gain weight, but I was still petrified about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I would like want to know how much weight I had gained and like what I looked like. And I would take all these pictures of myself. This was nuts. This was me still in a very, very. You weren't weighing yourself on the scale. Your only no, I wasn't weighing myself. Was yeah. like yes. how your clothes fit and stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, and I like bought some bigger clothes, and I was like, I was taking the steps that I needed to take towards self acceptance, but I was petrified. I, I was just like. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I was going to do. I knew my intentions, but I was so scared and I just wanted to see myself from the outside and I wanted to change the way I saw myself from the outside. So like I would take a picture of myself or take a video of myself on my computer and I think have the the desire to be like, I'm going to look at this from the viewpoint of somebody, of me looking at these um plus size models and these fat activists. And I was like, I'm going to change the way I look at myself. And that was part of what I was trying to do. The other part was like, I wonder what I look like right now. Like, I wonder how much weight I've gained because I've been eating so much. And it's good that I've been eating so much because I need to heal all these things and I need to gain weight, but I'm so, you know, you know, worried about what I do look like and blah, blah, blah. So it was like all wrapped up. I had, I had good intentions and I was moving in the right direction, but I was still super freaked out about it. Yeah. And I would look at these pictures of myself or these videos and I'd be like, oh my God, I don't even know what I think I'm seeing right now. Like, and that would solidify how warped I was to and how warped my view of myself was. And I knew that my view of myself in terms of whether I'd gained weight or not was warped. But even the fact that I thought I was like, ballooning up and like wanting to be okay with it, but barely even ballooning up at the time was eye-opening for me. How much of it was mental. Yeah. And I was gaining weight. Like I was wearing bigger clothes, but I, I just was so petrified of what it looked like from the outside and nobody cares. Yeah. The interesting thing too is probably you were just like, I think that whatever we are judging on other people is actually what we internalize and judge on ourselves. So it sounds like since you were doing so much body image work on loving on these plus size models and seeing them as beautiful, it became easier for you to find that beauty in yourself. And you know then what? Therefore judge yourself less. That sounds really spot on, actually, because every time I'm working with someone and they say, we talk about whether they're really being judged by people. They're like, well, I do judge people. I know that people judge people. I know that people talk about weight. Those people are the people like us when we had eating disorders. People with body image stuff are the people who are looking at weight. So every time you're worried that you're being judged by people, you might be actually, but you're being judged by people who have weight issues themselves. And again, like you just said, it's really about them mm-hmm. and not about you. We're judging in other people what we're judging in ourselves and we're judging in ourselves. Like, you know, it's all, it, it's, it becomes the same thing, but once kind of like going the other way, as you just said, if I was able to see these other women as beautiful. And I really did. I was so empowered by them, so amazed at their confidence. It was their confidence that was so 
exciting. I wanted that. I wanted that so badly. And I was like, if I could just have, you know, an ounce of that, I would be a different person. And that really was the thing. So that, and then the idea of being a rebel, the idea of going against the grain, going against what people, like the idea of not being liked or being judged and not caring was what was so exciting to me about these fat activists and these plus size models, that they were going against, against the grain. There were people who were writing nasty comments about them online and they did it anyway. That was so cool to me. Yeah. And it's counter culture. So it's, kind yeah. of like, you know, and I think it's interesting. Like, I think we have, we don't really have much of a counterculture anymore because the internet makes everything basically mainstream. And I think if mainstream culture can get better, there's not really a need for the counterculture. So like when there's something that is kind of counterculture and the only thing really left is like this body positivity, um, mm-hmm. that activism thing is kind of one of the only, it's one of the few counterculture things out there because so right yeah because now everything is kind of fair game with the internet so um yeah I don't know it's just an interesting that's amazing actually that's a really interesting way to look at it and the fact that liking yourself the way you are is such a radical act is so tragic it's tragic but it's also really 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 cool that an act of rebellion can be just to like yourself. Yeah. Like, and it's that simple. And I think people get so afraid that if they like themselves, that no one else will. Mm. You know, it's like, if I like myself this way, like, I guess that's great, but like, what if nobody else does? Yeah. And the, the true answer is that people will and people also won't. People... Um, people will judge you for any number of things that are completely out of your control. I know. (laughs) And if you can be a beacon of self-love and self-acceptance and be an example just to one young girl, you are changing the world Mm -hmm. for the better in this amazing, amazing radical way that is so simple at the same time and so hard to do. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's like it's still so underground. Like it's I work in this field all the time and I am reading, you know, blog posts and books that are on this subject all the time and it feels like it's becoming more mainstream, but it's not. Like we're still underground. This yeah. is still complete news to people that there is yeah. You know, that there is even a prejudice against fat people. They'll be like, no, we're not. We just right. want everyone to be happy. Like, it's just, it's like, we just, we want everyone to be healthy. And like, people don't even know what's happening in the first place to know that there's even a rebellion against it. It's really crazy. And that's, 
that's where I struggle the most. Like that's where I have such a hard time because having this conversation and being here with you and like where I like hang out online, like my Instagram feed is like so great. It's like your amazing, funny Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, models wanting more, which we'll get to. And you know, body positive people and like my friends and it's so supportive and great. But like I forget and I go out in the world and I'll be at a cafe this happened to me today with these girls logging their calories in my fitness pal and like talking about how much they hate themselves. And then I'm like, wow, they must look at me and really be like, what, you know? And it's like, and it gets me for a minute. Like, well, this is the world I live in. Maybe I should just go back and, you know, this is the world I live in. Right. Like for me in my lifetime, this isn't going to change. So should I just conform? Right. Like, right. It's a question in my mind, but I'm and, taking a stance and yeah. not doing it, but it I still question it. Like it's not something that I'm just like always 100% like great with all the time. I question it all the time. And I think your honesty with that is super refreshing too because there are people who need to hear that who will really resonate with you. There are people who don't resonate with me now. So I was definitely floundering for a while, but I've gotten to a place where – I, you know, and the body that I'm in right now is thin, but I still wouldn't have accepted it, you know, four years ago. Mm-hmm. I would have been like, oh man, like nothing was ever good enough then. So it it wouldn't have mattered. You know, I would have found a million problems with me right now. I'm like squeezing my stretch marks right now and like seeing cellulite and I would have like freaked out. <laughs> um, but the fact that you're saying that is really refreshing because I will say like, no, like I really do feel different and I never would go back now. And it's good to know, I think for people that, that where I am exists and that where you are exists too. And you could still make a choice. Yeah. You're still making a choice and you're, you struggle with it from time to time. And that is so human and so good for people to hear, I think. Yeah, but, and I think it's good for me to hear that, like, I can get – it's inspiring to me. That's why you're so inspiring to me to see, you know, that that place does exist. But I think, like you said, um, it's almost unspoken and there's this, like, in the in this community that we're kind of running in, like, it's unspoken and there's almost, like, shame and fear of not presenting myself 100% intuitive or body positive all the time. Right, so, right, I totally. Think that, it should be talked about to know that like, yeah, it happens. Yeah. And like, you know, the beauty thing is on so many levels. I, I definitely, you like have to catch myself, like certain things that I think about, like makeup and clothes and hair. And, you know, I, I, I really am constantly trying to balance because the funny thing is that my mom, you know, she's always playing devil's advocate and she's very happy that I'm happier now. But she, during the time that I was in the beginning of the fuck it diet, she was like, well, you just are so extreme. Like everything you do is, you know, you now like now even wanting to look nice is a crime. And I'm like, oh God, understand that this is my therapy. Like I need to not care what I look like right now in order to heal there is a happy medium. There's a happy medium in like caring about how you present yourself because the way you present yourself, you know, it does affect 
things. It doesn't affect your worth, but it affects the way people perceive you. And it can be a tool and it can also be a way to express yourself. But that is the healthy way to use appearance. And the unhealthy way is linking it to all these things that it doesn't need to be linked to. And a therapy for me was to actively not care what I looked like while I was still obviously caring. I mean, you can't erase that part of your brain, but you can choose to value other parts of your life and to remain extremely conscious and aware of all of the times your brain goes to that self-judgmental place and the place of like, well, will they like me if I look like this? Will it be enough if I look like this? What will they think if I look like this? It happens all the time. I mean, not to me so much anymore. It happens in different ways now. And it's like a new level of, of um, self-awareness, I guess. But that would happen all the time and I would have to consciously choose, no, I do not want that to be what rules my life. I do not want that. I know why I think that way. I understand. I get how the world works, but I do not want that to rule my life because it made me miserable for too long. Mm. Yeah. And it was a conscious choice like every day for a while. So when you were in that spot where you were, um, you know, recalibrating your body and, and, and fixing your metabolism and, and all of that, was were you legalizing all foods or do you think it was like the amount of food that made the big difference in the process? Or were you it was both. both. It was both. And it was happening at different times. So I think, I think what I first did was try to eat more carbs and then I tried to eat some foods that were really scary to me. And then I started doing a mixture of the both of them. But two big things for me, one was that when I would eat a food that was particularly scary, like um, my scariest one was industrial oils in things. And I didn't know, you know, that was like a big paleo thing, like that that's the thing that's ruining all of our health. And actually, I genuinely believe that it is really bad for you. Like I really do. But it was therapeutic for me and important for me to be able to eat it. And you didn't die. And I didn't die. And it was fine. And I was going to be fine, even if it you know, was bad for me to be able to eat it and be like, I'm fine. I love myself. I want to be able to just live. And that health, perfect health is not the holy grail. Like we think that health is so tied to morality in our brains and, and it can get really dysfunctional. Yeah. And to try to untie those two things to be like, I am worthy and fine. And I've eaten something that's probably really bad for me and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Like that was really important. So I would consider those scary foods like medicine for my mind and I would eat them. And the more I ate them, the less anxious thoughts I would have when I was eating them. And so much so that now I'll be like, oh, these chips are probably really bad for me. And if I want them, I'll eat them. And if I don't want them, I won't eat them. And it's just not a big deal. Yeah. And like, I still favor the healthy versions of things like, you know, the like, 
whole foods, organic versions of the cookies or whatever. Like that's what I would choose if I ran the world and that's what everyone would have access to, but I don't run the world and it's not use, you know, there's no use being afraid of the things that aren't optimal. Like that's just not a way to live. So, so actively, desensitizing myself to those things is really important. And the other frontier that I reached was I was so afraid of carbs and amounts of carbs that I still was kind of conservative. Like I was eating more than I was before, but I was still afraid to like really go for it. And I was afraid what would happen to my health. And by the way, disclaimer, my health is better now than it ever was before. I I still... I still totally have hormonal craziness and I think it's pretty much environmental um, and stress related. I really believe that that is where it stems from for the most part for me and most women with hormonal issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, that's why energy therapies and, um, and diet therapies and, and um, self-love therapies are like, all work together, but I still don't believe in restrictive diet therapies. I really, really don't. Um, but I, so that's still like a work in progress for me, honestly, but it's not, um, the be all end all for me anymore, which is really liberating that I'm like, I'm fine now. Like I have crazy hormones and my cycle is sometimes really great. And I try to figure out maybe what I did. And sometimes it's really wacky and I'm like wondering what it's tied to, or if it's tied to anything at all and how emotional is it? How stress-related is it? What are things in my environment that I can't change that I just have to accept? What are supplements that maybe can help me mitigate some environmental things that are, you know, completely unavoidable? And that is the sane way for me to go about health. And it took me a long time to get there. And it took a lot of misery in order to realize that that's not the answer for me. And anytime anyone recommends cutting out something or some sort of diet tweak, I don't do it. Good. I just don't do it. And sometimes I add things, like I'll add good foods that are supposed to be really good for you. I never take out anymore. And I actually, I I actually tried in January. I was like, I'm going to do two weeks gluten-free and see if it heals my hormones. And one day in, I was like, nope, I am not even playing with this fire. Like I, I knew that it was going to spiral. I thought that I was so healed that I could do that. And it turns out I'm not (laughs) like that was super triggering for me. And I eat healthier when I can eat whatever I want. Like that's what I've learned. As soon as I start to think that I should eat certain foods, I kind of start rebelling even now, even still. It's, it's fascinating. There's two things there that from what you just said that I wanted to pick up on and And one is, you know, going back to the morality around health. And I think that religion is so untrendy right now, organized religion. (laughs) Yeah. Health is so trendy that health is becoming this, yeah, like very polarizing new religion in our society, which is just like fascinating. And then the other thing, like when it comes to like all the things that we restrict, um, this is just like not a question. It's just like. You know, they say a good interview is like therapy for both people. So <laughs> yes. I feel like for, for me, this is coming up. And I just realized that like 
I had an experience too where I was, um, you know, like we were saying, we've tried it, tried it all, and I was like vegetarian, which turned to vegan, which turned to raw vegan, which turned to like mm-hmm. all whatever, whatever, and then like paleo, same thing on the other scale, and so I was just like, you know, until it's like nothing, you can eat nothing because there's right. something out there. Or it's right, everything exactly. Is bad. Everything is kale is bad, sugar is bad, it's all bad, you know. Right, um, right. So anyways, but I, so I slowly, you know, through, you know, okay, I, I was going to eat, eat fruit again. Then the paleo was like, okay, fat is great. So fat is good mm-hmm. again. But the one last thing for me too was carbs. And then I randomly started following this person who was more of the variety of like the um, high carb, low fat Mm. vegan type of a thing Mm -hmm. and it was actually really good for me because I was so like eating fat from the paleo side and then I paired that with her so it was just like perfect right it was just like goofy like neither of them would think that they would like totally clash but like for me it worked because yeah it legalized all food groups everything yeah that's what I say sometimes I'm like okay so you can go through every diet and make a list of all the foods that's not allowed and literally that means you can't eat anything because there is a diet that thinks that every food is bad for you even kale yeah like you know the whatever me an article about like the metal heavy metals and kale and she's like what am I gonna eat and yeah so yeah (laughs) yeah even kale but you can also do it just like you did and take all of the foods that are recommended on every diet and put them into your own diet and it means that every food is good for you So I, I, well, I had to do that with carbs too, actually. Um, A big shift happened for me when I realized like months and months and months into my, even maybe even a year into my um, fuck it diet, essentially, that I was living my life trying to eat the smallest amount possible and I was doing it constantly. And when I realized that I wasn't letting myself finish a bowl of rice or pasta or have a big serving of something because I was afraid that it wasn't healthy and I was afraid of what it would do to my weight and my health, I was – I that was like a big realization for me because I was petrified of it. So I had to go there and I started eating way bigger meals, meals that were like, you know, like if I was a calorie counter at the time, which I was in high school, I would have been like, this is my allotment for like the day, but I was eating it for a meal and finding that I like finally felt normal. I finally felt like satiated for a long time. I've stopped craving caffeine as much. I stopped craving chocolate as much. I stopped craving, you know, a lot of things, though I still had cravings because cravings are a natural part of the way to live your life. But it normalized a lot of my eating because I finally was allowing myself to actually get full, which I never allowed before. Yeah. It's... It's just so fascinating that um, you really, what you wanted all the diets to achieve, like you said, to like food to be a Mm non-issue happened when you just ate normally. I know. I know. Finally. Finally. The other thing is that I thought I was obsessed with food. Like I thought that food was my passion. 
I had this um, food blog. <laughs> um, I thought that I was maybe going to become oh, yeah. a food writer. And I healed all my food stuff. And I realized that I honestly couldn't care less about food. Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating thing. My friend, um, Christy Harrison, who I have to introduce you to, by the way, we'll talk Please, about that in a minute. Yeah. Her and I had a conversation. Um, she hosts this really, really rad podcast called Food Psych. Um, and Amazing. I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the Minnesota starvation experiment. Yes. But the interesting, the most fascinating part to me of, well, there's a lot, but one of the most fascinating parts about that to me was that the men in that experiment, um, and for people listening, I forgot there are people listening because we've been recording for so long, um, but for people listening, uh, I've talked about it before, but basically it was in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and this experiment would never be very top line. I'm just giving this fast, but um, this experiment would never be allowed today because it was like a human experiment, but they starved these men and for a certain period of time and then studied them and what happened when they lowered their calories to like very, very low calories. And then for a while they lost a ton of weight and then they amped them up and all these crazy things happened, you know, psychologically and physically. But one of the psychological things was that they became obsessed with food. And since they were so young, they were like college age Mm. and their careers were in this malleable place that many of them decided to have careers as chefs, as nutritionists, as trainers, um, Mm. as like people in the food world where, and I'm seeing that so much now where girls who are becoming orthorexic, whatever, 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 are changing the course of their life to become food bloggers or chefs or nutritionists or um, holistic health coaches or whatever, whatever, because they, you know, it can just, that's what their passion is because that's all that's in their, that's all they're focusing on and their careers are in this malleable place. So it's it's easier now with the internet. Yeah. So it's That's amazing. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that with the Minnesota starvation experiment that that happened too, but it makes so much sense because you become fixated. Like you're biologically fixated to think about food. Yeah. It's like a way of survival, but then we fight that with more dieting and we feel like we're broken and it just never, ever, ever ends until you step out of that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Craziness. So, okay. So now I want to switch gears. Um, if you're still awake and and just talk about how your relationship with food affected your art. And, um, can you just talk a little bit about how, you know, where you are with that now with your, acting and your performing and your writing and music and how healing this relationship has been a muse or has changed yeah. go. <laughs> so I, um, as I said before, I saw my entire worth and my artistic worth through weight. And when I quit acting, I had the epiphany that you kind of talked about earlier about well, if there were more actors of every size and every, you know, every look, then it would positively affect the world because people wouldn't feel like they had to be a certain way. And it would help the fact that I think that I can't be an actor because I don't look a certain way is crazy because that means that's denying my humanity. You know, if the idea of 
acting is to portray a human and I can't portray a human unless I'm thin. Like that's yeah. denying my existence. And you're contributing if, to the problem, not the solution with that. Exactly. And so I had this thought, I was like, you know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be a, an activist for actors. So they think that they, so they believe that they can be any size that they want and I will write about it and I'll interview them. And then I was like, oh, I guess it would be more, it would be more powerful if I actually did it alongside them and didn't just say like, you should be an actor at any weight. I'm not going to do it, but you should do it. (laughs) So I was like, all right, okay. I guess that means that I will go back into acting um, once I heal this food stuff. So can I, I have to pee so badly. Oh my gosh, yeah. I yeah, of course. Of course. I'm sorry I'll, we went so long. Yeah, it's totally great. This is an awesome conversation. I'll be, I will be right back. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. So I just went to the bathroom. She just paused it. So I'm going to, um, I was talking about me thinking that I was going to be an, an activist for actors to be any size. But then I realized that that was kind of a cop out and I should do it myself. So I decided that I was going to go back into it if I wanted to. And I felt like it after I healed all the food body stuff. Um, so that was always in the back of my mind, but I started doing The Artist's Way, which is a book. Um, It's a book about creativity. Um, It's amazing. I recommend it to anybody and everybody. Have you read it? Yeah, I'm obsessed with it. Oh, it's life-changing. It is Mm -hmm. so life-changing. And that is the reason that I have the fuck a diet and that I create the fuck a diet is that this book gave me permission to speak to, it it was the perfect thing to read as I was trying to, um, find my self-worth that was separate from weight. It was the perfect thing to read. Did you do it at at the same time too? Or was, Yeah. yeah, it like, Honestly, it was it was so necessary. I actually don't know how I would have gotten through my the journey without that extra it's like spiritual connection to yourself to um your own creative desires to your own voice. Yeah. And I think that that is such an essential part of this recovery is figuring out who you are, what you care about, what your passions are, what you have to say that is not dictated by weight and dieting. Yeah, because I think that becomes your hobby. Yeah. You have to find like a new hobby that you're into and then also like something that is your worth. So like For me, whenever I'm having a bad body image day or moment or week, you know, whatever, like if I, the only thing, the only thing that can get me out of it is doing something creative. So writing about like using my life and that experience as my muse and like making art about it or like using somebody else's art about it or just art about something else, you know, like fangirling over, you know, 
like a song that even if it's like about a breakup but like somebody else's art over or my own art is the only way that I can feel okay about what I'm going through it kind of jolts you into this soul plane you know It, it gets you out of your head it gets you out of judging yourself for these pointless you know pointless pointless things weight and looks that we think are the world in the moment you know, it jolts you out of it and gets you into this place of, of beauty, like true beauty, you know, inner beauty. That's what a song is. It's, and the other hard thing, the other thing that my mom gives me a hard time about, she, she's a, a you know, <laughs> she has good intentions, but she is quite a recovery adversary. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is like, she makes it hard. She's made it hard, but she's also made me stick to it even harder. And it has benefited her. But she plays devil's advocate on everything. And she's like, so what's so what's so bad with, about beauty? Like, isn't beauty something that we want and are attracted to and, and you know, desire? And, and, and isn't it healthy to be around beauty, to, to care about beauty? And the answer to that is, yeah, like beauty is wonderful, but it's also extremely, extremely subjective. And, you know, what we consider, yeah, out of our our control, if we're going to talk about natural beauty, like the beauty of nature, yeah, that's amazing. But, and it's healing and making your space beautiful is healing, but when you are judging your own beauty and thinking that it's never good enough, that's not the same thing. Like that's, that's detrimental. That's detrimental to your soul. What is soul affirming is trying to express yourself. So if the way you want to dress and the way you want to do your hair and your makeup is an expression of your inner life, that is when it's healthy and, you know, enhancing. But that's not how most of us go about looking at, you know, the way we present ourselves. We're we're not normally in that space. But getting to that place of self-expression and creation paves the way for more of that life, And I think too, it's, and I've said this many, many times, it's about making your life as a whole really beautiful, not just your body. And like, exactly. Another thing when I'm having a bad body image moment is like, I, I don't have to look at it. You know, I'm, I'm like, if I can just like, as, as silly as that sounds, well, like, even if it's just like, oh, my hair is really frizzy today and it's Mm -hmm. humid and, you know, it's like, oh, well, I get to like I'm inside of these eyes and my mm-hmm. eyes get to like see the world and like that's not my problem, you know. Right. And it can kind of just right. like, take it out of myself of like, oh, like, all right, I'm I get to see the beauty in everything else and I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. That's actually kind of a really amazing way to look at it. I had this thing, um this was like a, a shift moment for me when I was walking up the um, subway stairs and I was wearing a skirt and I was like, oh man, everyone's able to see up my skirt. Like, oh, you know, like that's unacceptable. Like I don't want the men behind me to be able to like see up my skirt. 
And then I just had this voice that said back to me, like, and who cares? Like, it doesn't change anything if anybody sees up my skirt. It doesn't matter. And it feels like the end of the world, like the most embarrassing and revealing and horrible, horrible thing in the world for somebody to like, but it doesn't matter. And then that spills over to like, it doesn't matter what people see and what people think. It, yeah. it cannot affect me. It feels like it can affect me if I feel like the way I look is who I am. Mm. This conversation is just like so good. I'm, <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. So you do this amazing one woman show um, that I watched a bunch of YouTube clips of and became obsessed with. That was like my oh. first window into you. And it's called oh. Possible Memoir Titles. Could yes. you tell us how that came to be? Tell yeah. us about what it was like to perform it. And yeah, because yes. it's way cool. Um, so I, okay. So we, this, we can tie this back even when I was, I took a year off of acting and I worked in an office and I, uh, just wanted to, I worked for an arts PR firm. I just did admin. I was like a glorified secretary. Um, it was lame. It was not fun, but it was so necessary. I needed that year so badly. And it taught me pretty quickly that, being in the arts and being a creative person is a gift. Like it is so much better than sitting in an office doing something you don't care about at all. So that was really important for me to learn acting wise. Cause I was worried that maybe I didn't care enough about it and I didn't know whether I cared enough to do it, but I, I was so bored and I started listening to music again. I started listening to musical theater again that I hadn't for a while because I, I was just so over it and exhausted. And um, I started saying, like, I want to do a cabaret. Like, I would make these playlists and I would imagine I would, like, go for walks and, like, imagine that I was doing my cabaret and I would, like, lip sync on the street. And I'm sure I looked very crazy. But I was I was so like excited about just the fantasy of doing a cabaret. One day I'm going to do a cabaret. So then I, I quit that job. I went to do a show in Philadelphia. I do a lot of theater in Philadelphia because I'm from Philadelphia. And I was a part of this amazing artistic community in Philadelphia, the most amazing, wonderful people. It was like the time of my life. It was so, so fun. And I became really close to um, this music director, a friend of mine, Amanda Morton, and I told her I wanted to do a cabaret and she was like, I will totally do one with you. Let's do it. So she, it was just kind of like this baby desire. I had no idea that it would become something that I was good at. I didn't know that it was going to become something that would morph. I didn't know that I, I didn't even think of it as writing a show. I was like, I want to sing. I want to sing these songs. She chose most of the songs. Like I wasn't even choosing the songs. I just wanted to sing them. Um, and then I felt like I needed a, like a, a way to string it all together. So I was writing this. 
I wrote a blog post called Possible Memoir Titles, and it was like I listed like five memoir titles. And it was I've always loved um, comedic essays, writing them, reading them. I've always loved um, writing memoir-like essays that were um, funny to me. That's always been something that I've loved doing. I've always just done it as a hobby. In fact, when I was writing that food blog, I was terrible at writing about food. I didn't write about food at all. I would write about like what happened before and after I ate the food. And that was what was fun to me. Like writing in that way is so, it makes me feel so alive and so happy. Um, and she, my friend actually was like, you should like make the show something, something similar to the possible memoir titles thing. Like that's your humor. Like do something like that. And I was like, you know what? I'll just make the whole show. So I truly was just trying to get through the show. I just wanted it to be watchable. I just wanted it to be entertaining to me and them. And I just wanted it to be like fun. And I did the show and it went over so well. And it was like the most fun, exciting thing I've ever done that I've been doing it ever since and growing it and changing it and adding my songs and um, being able to do it without a band. And I just got a residency over the summer. I was paid to work on it in Philadelphia. And so it's like, it's the, you know how they say like, just start, yeah. like, don't judge it. That's a big part of the artist's way too. Like, mm -hmm. don't judge the work. Just do it. You cannot worry about it being perfect. You cannot control what the outcome is going to be. You just have to do it. That's all I was doing. I was like, I just want to like sing. And then it became this different thing. And it became this like sort of stand up with a ukulele now yeah. is essentially what it is under the um, premise of titling my future memoir. And it is so fun. And doing that has, again, opened up this world of like, wow, like I made something and it's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect and it's flawed. And there are times when I do it and I feel horrible about it. And there are times when I do it and I'm like, I am on a high, like I'm the queen of the world. Like this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So it's kind of a lesson in just doing it. Yeah. And some things fall flat and some things are not funny <laughs> and some things go so well and it's like a learning process. And I now call myself a comedian more than I ever let myself before. But the funny thing is I want to point out it depends so much on who I'm talking to and what I'm talking about and who my audience is. I struggle so much and maybe I don't need to struggle or worry about it at all, but I struggle so much trying to marry the two voices of inspirational anti-diet and the honest account of what happened to me and what I used to think and what I think now and trying to empower people and my voice that I use writing comedic essays and writing that show. I do not know how to marry them, and I'm trying to. Like, I'm trying to. I think you do it beautifully all the time. Oh. <laughs> but I Thank mean, I'm your you. biggest fan, so whatever. Oh, you're <laughs> so nice. You are so, so nice. I, I used to, I think they used to be a little bit more disparate. Like, I think they used to be even more d different. But I've actively been trying to 
write a little bit more in the casual absurd style on the fuck it diet and a li- and bring a little bit more body image stuff into my personal um, comedic work. And that was what this residency was for. Like when I, when I applied to it, I said, so my show right now is really, really surface level. It's really absurd. It's really fun. It's really dumb. Um, and yet when I first did it, this woman came up to me afterwards and she said, what you're doing for women is so important. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was just trying to get through that. I was just trying to last. like, have, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yet I was so mad that I was like doing the show all about boys and I was like frustrated about that. So I was calling out all these true things and things that I was really frustrated about that are women and feminist, you know, topics. And I, I applied to this residency and I said, what I want to do is not only bring my songs into it, but I want to add some weight to it and not, uh, I didn't mean weight, body weight, though that's exactly what I did add into it. But I wanted to add in, you know, some real things. I wanted to speak truthfully in the show in a way that didn't stay there, that was able to balance both sides. And um, I I think I, I had help. I had uh, a collaborator, my good friend, Rachel Camp. She's brilliant. She's an actor in Philly, and she's a really good friend, so she knows me so well, and she knows the show so well, she knows the fuck a diet so well, and she knows my comedy so well that she was like the perfect outside eye to help me try to marry the two in a, you know, in a way that would be like a good arc for a show. So it's still a work in progress, but that's my, that's always my goal. Like right now I'm writing a book, hopefully to be called the fuck it diet, but that's a lot of essays about what I experienced peppered with little lessons and little like weird, um, recipes, not like food recipes, but like take like, Mag, like uh, magazine articles and like, well, like, you know, like as if um, life were able to have recipes for disaster, essentially. Oh, that's fabulous. That is my current uh, project. Very slow in the making. I just started it and I'm still trying to figure out like, what the heck? What is, what's my angle here? Because I write about body image and I write about why you shouldn't diet, but I'm honestly not that good with the scientific facts. Like, I feel like I get really jumbled. I get really nervous that I'm not going to say them correctly. I feel like that's not where my brain lives. I feel like I, I like to reference them and then link to them or tell people to read certain books um, that helped me. And then what I like to write about is the way we look at ourselves and the way we see ourselves and the fear of taking that leap. So like, that's where my, um, and that's, work yeah. lies. And I think that's perfect because like, for me, I learn through stories and I think most people learn through stories. And I think that's why I found your show so relatable is not just because of the, um, Obviously, it's entertaining, and you're so talented. You have a beautiful voice, and you play the ukulele amazing, which I want to hear about <laughs> in a second. But because um, I'm learning to play the ukulele. Oh yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I think like I, I feel like Pete Holmes right now, like interviewing a, a comedian. Like 
he he says this thing where like you play the audience like an instrument when he's doing his stand up, mm. and you really like. And I I teach yoga, so like I kind of do that like when I'm when I'm teaching a class. Yeah, I teach, it's like similar. The show basically. Yeah, and it's I, similar. And I like DJing and dancing and like making people do stuff like Simon says and. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then telling stories because I think people learn through stories. So that's what you're able to do in your show. You're like able to collage all these different sides of you together and then like picking up on the audience and like seeing it. And it's just, it's so cool. I, I have to see it live someday, but I mean, oh, I think, yay. I think the, you know, it's what they say about like comedy and tragedy. It's like the mm. same thing. Right. And so, yeah. so like for you, I think it's, it's, you know, when you're real, you, you're able to just be your authentic true self. And like I've heard um, Beyonce <laughs> talks about this where like she had that like stage persona, Sasha Fierce, mm-hmm. and somebody asked her in an interview like, um, you know, where is Sasha Fierce now? And she was like, well, at this point in my career, like Sasha Fierce, Beyonce, Yonce, whatever, like they're all me because right. you there's a level of authenticity that like just comes out after a while. Even right. If you, even if you don't have it and like, I think as you grow, and it, this is art, not that you need to grow, like you're amazing, but like it's all like come together in this beautiful tapestry that is your show, your book, your life. And um, and I just relate so much to the the personal essay thing. Like that's something, like that has been the most healing thing for mm-hmm. me on this whole journey is like, like I was reading The Artist's Way and Eat, Pray, Love actually really helped mm. me because- Oh yeah. Um, because I just started to write personal essays just like Elizabeth, well, I can't even say just like Elizabeth Gilbert. I mean, I think she's like the most brilliant writer ever. She's but like, so great. Yeah, but I mean, I was, I was trying and I was just writing in my authentic voice, telling my stories and then not from a point of like, I hope this gets published or I'm going to turn this into a blog post, but maybe, you know, and maybe, yeah. maybe it will be a, a book or a memoir or like yeah. a, you know, Lena Dunham type, tell all or maybe it turns into like a movie like Francis Ha where everyone's really uncomfortable by my um musings in my life as I yeah. go through it and then there is some like you said like as I maybe I do get to by the end um to this other side where like things are more healed and there are lessons in that because I think everybody's story is a hero or heroine's journey of some sort and like it yeah. just helped me feel better about myself and my body when I could go through life looking at life as my muse and life as my inspiration. And then yeah. that way, like, it became – my life became – you know, when something bad happened, I was like, there's some material. I'm going to be able to work this out on the page, you know? Yeah, and, it, it, that's um, what it is. It's material. It yeah, it's so, so healing. So I encur- I encourage everyone to – to read the artist's way really. But what I want to do is I, I have the six month program right now, but I want to have a creative recovery program. Yeah. Like I think that that, I think for everyone, but especially for eating disorders and disordered eating and obsessive dieting, hobby, so it's perfect. you need it. And, and I think it really, so many people who turn on themselves are creatives that are stifling their, yes their voice. And I think on so many levels, it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly necessary part of the healing process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 1000% like 
everyone who's listening might already know this, but I'll just tell you super quick. Like, I was really into theater and all of like that when I was younger. And then when I got to college, I was like, oh, I'll study broadcast journalism. Like, that's sort of like performing, but mm-hmm. not really. And Mm-hmm. and anyways, and so I stifled that for so long. And then, you know, now after on my healing journey, I decided to take improv classes and write Mm-hmm. more and like, use that muscle that like clearly was a part of my life but I just didn't know how to express it and so I just controlled my weight instead Yeah. Because it feels easier to do that. That's the biggest thing is that it feels easy for us to, <laughs> well, if I fix my weight, then I'll fix my life as opposed to actually just fixing getting, the life fixing yeah the life, getting messy, yeah getting because messy fixing and then. the weight is everywhere in society and it's just all over the place and Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. This is, this has been amazing, but I can't, I want to let you go so much because you've taken up so much of your night, but I have to end with some quick fire questions. Awesome. Okay. So um, just say like the first thing that comes to your mind. So Okay. what are um, some of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning? Maybe like the first three things you do and the first, the last three things you do before you go to sleep at night. Okay, the first two things I do in the morning are if it's a good day, I write I plan to write my morning pages. That's like in the first three things I do, but I go and I get myself coffee. I normally make it. I've kind of been all over the place right now, living everywhere, um, traveling a lot. So I don't really have a routine right now, but I get myself coffee, except I just switched to decaf, which is really throwing me for a loop. So my morning routine might be very different soon, but it has been coffee right now. It's decaf coffee. And I get my morning pages and I do them. And if I don't do that, I go on my computer and tell myself that I'm going to do work, but then I get caught in Facebook. And the last three things I do before I go to bed are, um, oh my God, I am so bad at going to bed. I, um, this is not an easy question to answer. I get in bed before I go to bed. I probably check my phone too many times. I, um, this is a really hard question. Three things I do before I go to bed. Oh, I do, um, I have magnesium spray that I take. I like can't fall asleep if I don't take magnesium. And I started doing magnesium spray because magnesium, um, pills are, like make your, like give you diarrhea. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so magnesium, I check my phone. I procrastinate going to bed. It's so bad. It's terrible. Um, I, I wish I had all these really spiritual things that I could tell you, but No, it's okay. I, It's funny. um, This is real. I, and what else do I do? Um, I don't even know. And I then you sleep. actually, I sleep, but then I actually get out of bed sometimes and like start playing music. Like I'm like, I'm going to go to bed, but I like bring my ukulele into bed or I like get out and like try to play something on the piano. And then I spend way too long doing that. It's another way of procrastinating going to bed. I don't know what I'm so afraid of going to bed, but I procrastinate it. So those I think are that's the last a things. sign that you like your life when you don't want to go to bed and you like don't want the day to be over. So you're like, oh, I'm going to. That's so cool. I need to play my ukulele before bed. Yeah, you should. <laughs> um, OK, so 
what are you doing in your life that you're afraid of, but you're doing anyways that you're challenging yourself with now? Oh my God. Um, I'm really afraid to, two things. I'm afraid to write this bucket diet book and have it be, um, a book about me. That's kind of weird to me and exciting and scary. And I'm also afraid to go back to New York and keep doing the acting audition thing. Like I know I'm going to do it and I'm at the beach right now, but, um, it's, it's daunting and overwhelming, but I'm going to do it because I have to, (laughs) and I want to. And we need you because you're talented and amazing. Okay. This one's easier. Favorite color. Green. Favorite part you've ever played acting. Um, doing in Sunday in the park with George at the Arden theater company. I was a Celeste. There are these two weird comedic characters called Celeste one and Celeste two. And I was Celeste two. And it was so fun. It was like a mixture of everything, like a beautiful show, a funny part. Um, it was just awesome. It was so fun. Oh, so cool. Favorite day of the week. Huh. I feel like all my days are the same now. Um, all of them. <laughs> um, maybe even like Monday. <laughs> cool. Hour of the day. I like like six o'clock at night. Yeah, it's good. Favorite vegetable. Um, oh, I used to hate carrots, and I like them so much now. But my favorite vegetable is probably. Um, this is so hard. I don't even know. Um, I can only think of vegetables that I don't like. Um, favorite vegetable. Oh, that. mushrooms. I love mushrooms. Oh, those are really good. Favorite uh, fruit. Uh, papaya. Ooh, yum. Um, what is your favorite way to relax? I have... Now I do this thing. I you heard me say this in the uh-huh. other podcast, but I, I, I do. I'm doing this um, energy program. It's her name is Michelle Lowbridge, and she's amazing. I'll send you her link cool. um, yeah. just for your sake, and also if you want to put it here. Yeah, but um, she is a kinesiologist, and she does these energy corrections on you remotely. And there's a group, and she does weekly group corrections, and her. It sounds really woo-woo, and maybe it is, but I love her. I no, feel like I she's... just I just had a session with someone else who must do something similar. It was called like Theta Healing or whatever. Oh, so neat. Like two days ago. And That's so it's so funny. So that. cool. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. No, God, I want to hear about that too. But um, she says that you have to – the self-care that you have to do to process these energetic corrections – and let your energy system realign is you have to drink a lot of water and you have to lie down on your back for 10 minutes every day and doing nothing. You can't have any distractions. And really what it is is a really simple meditation because all I'm doing is just letting my mind go and and then I eventually kind of come down and I and I have like breakthroughs there that I like meditative breakthroughs and I'm not even trying to do anything. I'm just not allowed to do anything else. Um, and I call it a lie down. And I, and I was telling, I was like, I I do a 10 minute lie down and I don't really, I, I can't do sitting meditations. I get, I get really antsy, but I can do them pretty well when I'm lying down. So 
that is my best way to relax right now. And I do it every day and it's so simple. There's nothing to it. I don't have to plan or do anything. I just lie down for 10 minutes. When you lie down, do what if you get like creative ideas or thoughts, you just let them come and you think about them if you want to and then let them go? Get a little nervous sometimes that they're going to go. So like if I think it's something that might, depending on how relaxed I am, mm-hmm. if I think it's going to, I'm going to forget about it. I, um, I get my phone and I write it down yeah. and depending on how much time I have, I'll either restart the 10 minutes or I'll just keep going from there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, that was my question about it. So best thing you've eaten in the last week. Oh, my mom, when she was here at the beach, she's now gone, but she made, I am so bad at cooking for myself these days. I literally eat whatever's around or just quinoa. I, and I eat out a lot. Like I eat delicious things out, but I never cooked for myself. And she cooked salmon and beets with um, onions and a lot of butter on both of those things and baked potatoes with butter. It was like the most simple, amazing meal. And it was home cooked and it was so good. With love. That's amazing. With love. Yeah. Favorite thing to have for breakfast? Um... I really like having yogurt with berries and almond butter in it. I love – it's so weird. It's so strange to put almond butter in yogurt, but it is delicious. Almond butter on anything would be delicious. So, So, okay, little scenario for you, food-related. It's 8 p.m. You've had a long day. You're starving. You come home. What do you eat slash make slash go pick up? What do you do? Um, I, depending on how hungry I am and how quickly I need to eat, I eat a lot of cheese and crackers. (laughs) Um, I also, um, I ordered these amazing beef tacos with corn tortillas from this restaurant that's close to me. I spend so much money on these beef tacos. They're amazing. They're like really good. Um, and I eat them all, all the time. But like quickest thing that I eat is um, cheese and crackers or like I used to eat a lot of avocado on toast. Oh, yeah. It's, like it's just so easy to so make. Good. It's so – and with salt, it's just so good. Yeah. On like sourdough, like a little lemon on top is like yeah, so yeah. Good. Those are my quick meals. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, that's amazing. Okay, if you could have a superhero power for a day, what would it be? Flying, definitely. Ooh, quick! You knew that one. <laughs> um, favorite vacation you've ever taken? Oh, I went to Vancouver with my family four years ago. We. Flew there, spent a couple of days there, and then we took a train up and through the Rocky Mountains, the Canadian Rocky Mountains, and it was so amazing. It was in July, but it was like cold and beautiful, and the mountains were gorgeous, and it was just like I think the Pacific Northwest is where a little piece of my soul is, and I like got to reunite with it. Oh then. my gosh, that's amazing! Um, what is your favorite musical? I used to say Parade, and then I was in Parade, and for some reason, it doesn't feel like my favorite musical anymore, even though I love it so much. That's a musical by Jason Robert Brown. Um, oh, it's, that's such a hard question. Um, I don't know the answer, but I do know what 
my it's okay it's either my fair lady or um she loves me and it's possible that I'm just saying those because I want to be in both of those you will I can't wait to that's amazing favorite movie Amelie oh that's so good favorite book Harry Potter favorite song um I think it changes all the time it used to be Jason Mraz's You and I Both oh I love that song I love love that whole first album I know it's really good um a song by um, either a song by Andrew Bird, I can't actually choose the song, uh, or Punch Brothers. I'm so into the Punch Brothers. I don't know the Punch Brothers. They're like progressive bluegrass. They are so amazing. It's the same um, singer and mandolinist from Nickel Creek. Huh. I'll have to check them out. They're really good. What's it called um, again? Punch Brothers. Okay, I'm going to look it up tonight. Cool. All right. Well, as you know, the name of this podcast, the name of my blog is The Wellness Wonderland. So when I offer that term to you, Caroline, to live in a wellness wonderland, what comes up? What does that mean to you? Mm. Oh, okay. It would be a world where, like I said earlier, people are raised to value themselves and their voice and what they have to say and their bodies. And and raised to love themselves. I also think that this world, if I was able to control the wellness wonderland, it would, we would get back to like real farming and real food preparation and everything would be rich and nutrient dense. And it would not be about calories or anything, but it would just be real delicious food that was good for us and delicious. And it would be more expensive uh, especially meat, I think the good meat would be expensive, but it should be because it's a life and it's like pretty nourishing. So I, my utopia would include a lot of really, really, really good real food. Um, but it would, but body image would be like a thing of the past. Yes. I want to live there. It would be like, remember when women like thought they had to be skinny in order to like be important. Uh. I want to cry because I want to live there. I know. I know. Uh, all right. Well, this has been amazing, long, deep, beautiful. There's a billion more things I could ask you. And we we'll do it again. Like we'll talk so again. Hours. So we'll thank talk you again. so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. You made it all the way to the end. I'll be back next week, but until then, let's stay inspired and keep this conversation going. So tweet at me at Katie Dalebout and our guest with your aha moments from this conversation and like the Wellness Wonderland on Facebook so we can all hang out there and discuss how inspired we are and how we'll apply it in our daily lives. And never miss another episode or post from me by signing up for email updates on thewellnesswonderland.com. See you back in Wonderland.